This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. And a guten Erev Shabbos and a good Chodesh. Today is not only the run-up to Shabbos, but we are now in the second day of Rosh Chodesh Adar, the month of joy, the month of transformation. This is a month with which we end the year, as it were, and go into the month of Nisan. It's actually a month that gets us going toward the pinnacle, toward receiving the Torah at Sinai. And this is the month that our sages tell us, When Adar enters, we increase in joy. And our sages teach us that every day and every activity must be permeated with joy. Basically, our work down here is to serve God, to work toward refining this world, to make it a dwelling place for God. And that work must be done with joy. Nevertheless, when this month comes in, Marbin besimcha, the simcha that we always have, the joy, the input, the energy, the passion, has to be heightened. In fact, the Lubavitch Rebbe pointed out, if, as Adar comes in, if, as this month begins, we are bidden to increase in our joy and focus on, obviously, serving God with greater joy, greater appreciation, greater recognition, greater connection. As the days of this month proceed, progress, the joy must as well. They must increase. The joy, the energy, the passion, the absolute awareness of God's presence in my life and my ability to make him happy needs to increase day by day. Of course, in the middle of the month, we will celebrate Purim, an incredible, incredible yontif that we are told we will always celebrate, and we need to examine why. But today is Aleph Adar. Today is the first day of the month of Adar. And somehow, anticipation of Purim already makes us feel energized. But Purim must not just be looked upon as reading the Megillah and sending gifts of food to a friend and giving money to the poor. It's not just about remembering what happened a long time ago. Purim is a great day of deep spiritual significance. We won't be speaking much about Purim today, but we do want to emphasize the joy. And we want to look at the special Torah reading, which is the seventh parsha in the book of Shmois, the seventh Torah reading, Torah portion, seventh week. Since we began the book of Exodus, the book of redemption, this Shabbos, Candles should be lit. If in your shul, there's that regular time of 6.15, candles should be lit then. 
if you're in a shul that accepts Shabbos a little bit later, because we still have long days, then candle, candles should be lit at 6.32. Tomorrow night, Shabbos finishes at 7.28, and we'll be right back after this short break. This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. I'm Mashi Lipsker. This is Chai FM, 101.9 Chai FM, and I'm absolutely delighted to be with you on this very special Erev Shabbos, which is also Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of the new month, that special month of Adar, in which Purim is celebrated, but that month in which every single day one is meant to increase in one's energy and joy. Pig and Pay Hyper Norwood has the following deals. But before the deals, they've got a big deal. Collect free quality cookware. How? Well, for every hundred rand you spend at Pig and Pay Hyper, they'll give you a stamp. If you spend two hundred, you'll get two stamps. Collect stamps and stick them on your collector's card. Take your card to Pick and Pay Hyper to redeem your Royal VKB cookware item. And then keep collecting stamps until you complete your entire range. For 40 stamps, you can get a 20-centimeter frying pan. For 50 stamps, a 16-centimeter saucepan. 60 stamps, 24-centimeter frying pan, 70 stamps, 24-centimeter stir-fry pan, 80 stamps, a 20-centimeter casserole pot with a lid. That's Pick and Pay Hyper in Norwood. I'm Mashi Lipsker, and we're talking here the very special Torah reading and season in which we find ourselves. The name of the Parsha is Teruma. Truma means contribute. The contribution is the truma. Why? Because in the parsha this week, Hashem gives Moshe a very special mitzvah to pass on to the Jewish people. You see, we haven't read about it yet, but in a later portion, the Torah is going to tell us the sad reality of what happened when the Jews became convinced that Moshe was not going to come down off Mount Sinai. He had gone up. He'd gone up in Parshat Yitro, in Parshat Yisroi. He went up to receive, to be taught by God. And they miscalculated the days. And on the 39th day, when they thought it was the 40th day, they got cold feet. They got frightened. They got worried. Moshe was never coming back. And they committed the sin of making an idol. They made the golden calf. Some people actually worshipped that golden calf as an idol. And as a result, God withdrew his holy presence from the people as a whole. And the days, the weeks that followed were days of great difficulty and pain in order to reinstate his presence amongst the Jewish people, Hashem gave us a special mitzvah. And that mitzvah was 
to build a portable housing for his presence. And in the desert, in the wilderness, that housing was to consist of a tent sanctuary. We called it the Mishkan, the tabernacle. It also included a surrounding courtyard and various objects, different furnishings that were would be placed in certain positions, specific positions, things that were constructed to specification within the sanctuary. Everything was exact. And the enclosure, everything, the measurements, the materials used, the way it had to be put up were all exact. And in our Parsha this week, which is the seventh Parsha, it opens up with Hashem's command for the people to give, to contribute, truma, toward the building, the construction of this mishkan, this tabernacle. And so the instructions begin with Hashem saying, let them make for me, they must make for me a sanctuary so that I may dwell in their midst. And the materials needed for the building of this sanctuary are listed, that the people should bring the gold, the silver, the copper, etc. Thirteen things. But also, what was the purpose? And right at the beginning of the parsha, the purpose is stated. They must make for me a mikdash, some sort of sanctuary. And I will dwell in their midst. It's a very, very awesome and moving instruction that the people received on the day after Yom Kippur in that year. It was a sign they had been forgiven for the transgression of the golden calf. And they looked forward now to renewing, reconnecting their relationship with Hashem. And this was a symbol that they would be able to reinstate the relationship. There was something man could do to actually make up for, to atone for a transgression. How was it made? Speak to the people. Let them bring me gold, silver, copper, various materials that would then become the Mishkan, its Kalim, its Chotzer, the sanctuary, its vessels, its courtyard. When we look at the name of the Parsha, the Parsha is called Truma. And usually, the name of a Parsha will represent everything in the Parsha, the contents of the Parsha. But if we look into the Parsha, it's all about building that Mishkan. They had to make the vessels of the Mishkan, like a menorah, two altars. They constructed a special table. They constructed, they constructed the walls and the hangings, the courtyard and its hangings, the sockets and the bases that were needed to make the boards stand. It's all about building this sanctuary. 
with exact measurements. So why would it be called truma, donation, contribution? In fact, contribution seems to be the opposite of what the parsha is all about. The parsha really is making a place in the world that God would come and dwell again in the physical world. And the truth is, no matter how much in life we try and engineer things, only God can do something like that. No matter what we want to do, certainly when we want to combine physical and spiritual, it's a totally impossible task. Only if Hashem wants to can it happen. Only He has the power. We are human beings. We live in the physical world. The physical seems to be our reality. We are limited. We get hungry. We get tired. We get thirsty. We get cold. We get hot. We're constantly being knocked back by the physical realities of the elements and of our own shortcomings, no matter what we feel like doing, what we want to do. In fact, I want to say hi to the listeners and especially my friends in our parents' home. And I think about you guys. I know there's lots of things you'd like to do, but we are limited by life. God has created us, created our circumstances in a way that no matter how much we feel like flying, achieving, building, we're just human. We might have a voracious appetite for changing the world, but we are physical beings. And ultimately, our nature and our humanness is something that we have to consider. We're not birds. We can't fly. We aren't machines. We can't go on and on. Nevertheless, when we have a spiritual desire, we have something that we really want to achieve. It's very often that we can break through the limitations of being just a human being because our will and desire to do something that God considers right, good, holy, that counts for a lot. But still, it's only Hashem who has the power to make a dwelling place for Him, for the spiritual in the physical world. And this word truma, contribution, seems to be the opposite. Because truma talks about human endeavor. And mishkan talks about God's presence, the supernatural coming to dwell in the physical. Well, God's presence was already in the world. We find it two weeks ago in the Parsha that God, infinite, almighty God, came down to earth. He came down on Mount Sinai. And he came down. The entire mountain became holy. We weren't allowed to touch it. In fact, everything in creation suddenly stopped. The Medrash tells us 
that nothing in this world functioned the way it normally does. At the time of the giving of the Torah, the entire nature of the world changed. It actually froze, as it were, in awe, in fear, in total recognition, in great humility before the Creator. That was God's shechina, God's indwelling presence. The Medrash tells us no bird twittered, no bird flew, no ox lowed. The angels stopped singing. The angels stopped saying kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. The river stopped flowing. People couldn't talk. Nobody could talk. They were overwhelmed by this powerful spirituality. Nothing in the world continued. Everything froze. Everything stood in total, total humility. There was no I. There was no self. There was only a recognition that this is the Creator. I am just being brought into being by Him. And when this huge, wonderful light shines, all the smaller lights don't even look like light. And what happened there is that the Shechina ultimately departed. When it was there, everything froze. But when God's presence rose from the mountain, everything started to work again. The birds and the animals and the angels and the people. The Shechina's effect on the world was not permanent. However... The Mishkan that was constructed by the Jewish people in the desert and all of its vessels remain holy until this day. They were all hidden under the temple mount in various mazes and tunnels that were dug by King Solomon, that were prepared in the time of King David, that King, it, it, it was hidden, it was put away, and it was never touched. It has such tremendous holiness, and it exists until this day. Why is this so? That when God came down on the mountain, it didn't last. His effect didn't last. But when the people contributed their own gold and silver and copper and wool and linen and precious stones and oils, why did those contributions, what they became, remain holy, holy of holy to this day? And that's because when God came down on the mountain, it was without prior preparation. The world was still a physical world, and the world had not prepared to receive this godliness. Sure, God can impose his presence, his miracle. But God desires to live amongst us as we are in our human interactions, in the way we eat and dress and think and pray. And God came down to show us what it could be like. And only because he wanted to, but it wasn't because the people had prepared 
or the people had made fitting vessels of themselves. The world was still what it was. And that's why that holiness, that Kedusha, departed. The goal of creation is not to deny this physical world. It's not to stop the talking and the flowing and the singing and the twittering. But it is for God to actually come and dwell in all that. The Shekhinah to dwell in this physical world. And it has to be made. This physical world has to be readied. We have to ready ourselves. It's up to us. We have to make it ready. We have to get it prepared. It has to be fitting. And that's why the Mishkan is greater than what happened at Sinai. And the words that God uses are very, very telling. The Asu Li Mikdash. And they shall make for me a sanctuary. They shall make. Their deeds are going to make the sanctuary permanent. Make it. Build it. Action. The deeds of the people. Bringing gold and silver and copper. And these things become transformed to permanent holiness, unlike the giving of the Torah at Sinai or what happened at Mount Sinai. And there are times when God comes and reveals himself in the manner of revelation, as at Sinai. And everything stops and everybody recognizes, wow, that was a miracle. Everything becomes totally humility humble. There's humility, there's fear, there's recognition, there's awe. And that's what happened then. But the world hadn't prepared, so it wasn't a permanent effect. But when man does it, how should he do it? So let's look at the word truma. Truma has two meanings. The one meaning of truma is to separate, lahafrish, to put aside. And the second meaning of truma is laharim, to elevate. Man and his children and his children have been gifted with the privilege of making one section of the world at a time a vessel to receive, to contain godliness. We can't do, a little, do it all at once, and we cannot do it alone. It's a united effort wherever we are found. That's why Hashem dispersed the nation that stood at Sinai and received his law. We have been dispersed throughout the millennia to every corner of the world. Section by section... We separate a section, work with it, and elevate it. Separate, elevate, part by part. We do it within ourselves. We have so many parts in our lives. We aren't expected to become perfect 
and certainly not to become perfect overnight. It's a journey. It's a process. And therefore, the name of the Parsha, which is the Parsha about making a place where God will feel comfortable to dwell, is called Truma. We'll be right back after this short break. This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. I'm Mashi Lipsker. Erev Shabbos Parshas Truma. Second day of Rosh Chodesh Adar. And we're talking about the name of the Parsha Truma. The contents of the Parsha is about the building of a sanctuary, a Mishkan, for the Creator, where God would come to dwell. But the name of the Parsha, Teruma, indicates the action at the very beginning to contribute materials. But we know that everything in the Parsha must be reflected in the name of the Parsha. And we have to understand that in order to build a sanctuary, it is our action, it is our contribution, it is our giving of self, truma, that actually results in a permanent dwelling place for God in this world. And truma means hafrosha, separation. It also means aliyah. It means laharim, to elevate. These are the two things we need to do. We mustn't think we can do it all at once, but section by section, project by project, part by part of ourselves and our world, we tackle them one at a time. We focus on them totally, level after level, section after section. We, the limited human beings, who do get tired but start again, who do fail but try again, Take those small, slow, human steps. But that specifically is how a permanent home in this world for the Creator is made. And that's the will of the Creator. Truma, separating and elevating. It's not about looking at how I am now or how the world's seems to be, but how the world potentially is and how the world can change. It's about action. The osuli mikdosh, they shall make for me a sanctuary. Make it, deed by deed. And it's quite amazing because when Hashem says, and they shall make for me a sanctuary, he does not say, and I will dwell in it, but I will dwell in them, in their midst. What does that mean? Not in its midst, but in their midst? Hashem is telling us to make a sanctuary so he will come to dwell in us. Because there are actually three types of sanctuaries that are indicated, that are included in that commandment of they must make me a sanctuary. And what are these three? Well, yes, it was that physical tabernacle that the Jewish nation built in the desert. But then there's a personal inner sanctuary that each one of us must build. We must carve it, construct it, weave it, out of our lives, 
in our sphere of influence in the world. And thirdly, the world at large needs to become a sanctuary. That world we need to transform into a place where God's Shrina, God's presence, will come and permanently be. And therefore, although the tabernacle was a physical place that was constructed, physical objects that were made at a particular time in history, Torah is eternal. And when the Torah says, when God speaks and says, they must make me a sanctuary so I may dwell in their midst, Hashem is talking to us wherever we are, no matter what situation we find ourselves in. And ultimately, where we each work in our section of the world and with ourselves, the result will be that the world will be a fitting place, a palace, a clean, beautiful, welcoming place for God to rest his nature in. In all three cases, what we're doing is revealing the hidden true nature of reality. All of the objects, all of the materials that were used to build the sanctuary had deep spiritual meaning, messages about the future. There was something in them that God had created that through using them correctly, they became, they became the sanctuary. They were transformed into a dwelling place for God. And so too, the entire world, everything in it only exists because there's a divine energy recreating it at every moment. We mustn't look at a tree or a table as something that just stands there. We mustn't look at a rock or a jewel as something just inanimate, because divine energy is pulsing within everything in creation at every moment, otherwise it wouldn't be there. And that's why... If we want to make this world a place where godliness is revealed, all we really need to do is to take away the covering, to remove what's obstructing the reality. And so it is. Each one of us, we are really a creation of God, and our essence is a godly soul. And so making our lives into a mishkan, a sanctuary, a tabernacle for the Creator, really what it is, is allowing our inner essence to shine through, despite the physical life we lead, despite all the material preoccupation, all what we call the, the excess baggage that we tend to accumulate during our journey in life. There's a true nature. And our job is to reveal the essence of the world. How does one do this? It is done 
by giving, by truma, by ve'osu, action, by listening to God's instruction and building that tabernacle to exact measures, by going against our nature very often to reveal our deeper essence. Indeed, we are privileged. And of course, it's so interesting because where was that original Mishkan built? It was built in the desert, in the wilderness. A wilderness. A wilderness where no man lives. A wilderness which has snakes and scorpions. A dangerous place, as it were. A wild place. An untamed place. A place where we are exposed to dangers. But our Mishkan was actually a forerunner to the temple in Jerusalem, to the Beis Hamikdash. In fact, the Beis Hamikdash was constructed on the model of the sanctuary. Interestingly, the tabernacle that was made in the desert had a greatness that was greater, that superseded the greatness of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. The Holy Temple in Jerusalem is called the Gateway to Heaven. It's the place God chose. Generally, the whole land of Israel is the place that we're told in the Torah that God's eyes are constantly on that place from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, especially Jerusalem, and especially the place of the Holy Temple. That's the place God chose. And so it's a fitting place for God to to dwell in, to want to dwell in, not just because of man, but God initially said, this is the place. But the desert... The desert's not even a, an inhabited place. It's a place where you have, as said, snakes and scorpions. It's a low place. Nevertheless, in that very place is where, through man's efforts, a dwelling for God was created, and that dwelling has never been destroyed. And building the Mishkan is the source that we have for what our work in this world should be. It's actually the foundation. It's actually the model for building the temple in Jerusalem, which represents the time of the Mashiach, which is our goal. We must take this physical world, the lowest places, the lowest aspects of life in ourselves, but through working at it, we must make it a place where God will feel comfortable to dwell. So let's remember that even though our world might look like a jungle, it might look like a ludicrous wasteland, we mustn't become discouraged. When we look at ourselves, we might say, I will never become refined. We do have the power. If we have the instruction God sends it along with the empowerment. We have the empowerment to carry out God's wish to transform the lowest 
of our of ourselves and the least refined places in the world and make it a place where God will desire to dwell and where he will actually come to dwell. And what better time is there to do it than the month of Adar? The month of Adar, a month of joy, a time to work on our inner joy. And just the thought, our inner joy is augmented when we look at the three pillars of the world, Torah study, prayer, and action, deeds of goodness. When we study the Torah, we connect with God like a student connecting with his teacher. When we pray, we connect with God like a child reaching out to his father. And when we do a mitzvah, when we do deeds of goodness for someone else, God's compassion is aroused totally because we are doing not only the will of God, but we are doing a favor for God's child, for someone else. With these three things, the entire world is strengthened. And when we do them with joy, we study Torah with joy at the privilege of beginning to connect with God's wisdom. When we pray, and in our prayers, we feel like we're calling out to our Father. Every word we say is being listened to by our compassionate Father, not just when we have something that we need, but that we're talking to Him. We are recognizing and adding credibility to the fact that He is here as the Creator, as the all-powerful Father, King. When we say those words of prayer, suddenly we're connecting with Him. He surrounds us. It's a relationship. And of course, when we act, we build a sanctuary for God. Good Chodesh, good Shabbos.